Turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. When I was growing up, um, I was a part of a youth group like many of you were. Well, maybe not all of you, but um, many of you were. And uh, I don't know what's going on. Um, My voice cracks, but that's not my voice cracking. Um, I was a part of a youth group, and we had uh, those those things that we would do each year that we all looked forward to. Um, I was in middle school. We went to Centrifuge a lot. And uh, how many of you are Centrifuge alums? Anybody? You'd be proud. It's all right. Um, We would go to Centrifuge, and uh, that was like what we looked forward to the most in life as far as church goes, and uh, we'd go to camp, and then, you know, camp would be amazing, and, like, you know, everybody would get saved every year, and um, the last night of camp, we'd have our cry fest, and which is how you gauge um, how good a church group devotion is, is the more people that cry, and the more spirit must have been there, and uh, whatever, and so uh, we would do that, and um, when I was in, got to high school, um, we switched and we started going to this uh, this camp. It was called uh, it was called Go Tell. It was a Rick Gage camp. Am I got a Rick Gage? Am I? What's up? Okay. And this was like a hardcore like evangelism camp. Like the more the more I think about it, the more like it may like maybe would have been like on a prime time um, like one of those like ABC specials about you know evangelical kids or whatever because it was pretty hardcore and it was you heard the phrase. Um, attack hell with a water pistol, like, a lot um, at this camp, you know, and, like, it, it was, like, motivating, and, like, you just got all fired up all the time, and, uh, and so we went to that for a couple of summers, and um, at some point in high school, this, this thing called Disciple Now, um, you know, seeped its way to South Louisiana, and uh, even though, like, that, if you think about it, Disciple Now, that makes no sense at all, but we didn't care, because it was, you know, it was cool, and so then, like, Disciple Now became something that we look forward to, and um, what, what happened is there was this um, crazy amount of, of expectation on, on our part when we looked at those events, at camp, at Disciple Now, at whatever, um, and expectations can go, can go either way, you know, there's a, a negative side where kind of in our minds um, as teenagers, that was where God did his work, you know, God worked at camp, and so we would look forward to um, camp as like, you know, I can't wait till God gets a hold of me in seven weeks at camp, you know. Um, and so that, that was kind of the negative side. But the, but the positive side is this, is that we went to camp and to Disciple Now and these different things really like expecting it to be life-changing. And, and, and I think that was a good thing for us. Um, and, you know, and I think when it comes to Christmas, um, I think we have to have that same positive expectation when it comes to the next couple weeks. Um, the thing about Christmas is that um, it can very easily be um, a life-changing 
um, experience the next, the next few weeks for you can reshape you. It can redefine for you what is important um, and the things that, that you value. It can shatter everything that you've ever experienced at Christmas time. Um, it can be a really, really sharp tool in God's toolbox that's to conform you to his, his image. Um, and, or, or it can just be another aggravating couple of weeks of annoying commercials and lights and debt and whatever. Um, and so I, I hope that as a church that we look at the next few weeks and we have that, that healthy expectation when we think about it. You know, we've been talking about the Advent conspiracy and, and how there's something that we're going to do and, and a little bit of what all that involves. And there seems to be some excitement about that, about like, like yeah, this, this is something I can really get on board with. But the thing is, like, we, we have to look at the month of December as an incredible opportunity for God to, uh, to completely just rock our world. We have to have that kind of expectation, almost like, like, like when you're going to camp or when you're going to a passion event or when you're going to something like that and you know God's going to show up. I want us to look at the next couple weeks like that. That as we're involved in, in all these different things, that we really can, um, that this can be a time of refining for us. Now, the Advent Conspiracy was started a couple years ago um, by uh, four churches that got together, and it just kind of has, has grown from there. It's not a program. Um, we, didn't, we don't order a kit. Um, you don't see, um, like, we don't have all that stuff that you would have, um, like, if we did 40 Days of Purpose that some of you had done or whatever. It's not a program. It's basically, it's, it's, it's just it's these four ideas that all come from uh, the real meaning of Christmas, and these are things that you implement however you're, however you see fit in your church. And so they put up this website, and they're like, look, we're going to put some videos up. We're going to put some graphics up there. You can download them. You, if you want to make posters, here, we'll do everything for you. Um, you just download it and print it and whatever. Um, it's, it's one of those things where it's like you take these ideas, and you see how this fits your church well. And so what the elders have decided to do um, is for the next couple of weeks, um, we're going to uh, approach this in a couple of different ways. Um, there are, are four major aspects to the Advent Conspiracy. So each Sunday, I'm going to teach on one of those four. Um, there is um, there's an offering that we're going to take, and I'll talk about that more in a little bit. Um, we're going to ask you to buy less gifts this year, and I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, and we're going to um, we're going to get into all that in just a second. But the the first, like the main thing about the Advent Conspiracy is this. The first one is worship fully. Second one is spend less. Third one is give more. The last one is love all. And so tonight we're going to talk about worship fully. Now, the Christmas story is full of worship. And when I say worship, um, we don't define that here at the ring as just being songs. Um, we don't think that the Bible defines it that way either. Um, and so we're going to start with the Bible's uh, definition, which is a lot more broad. Um, the word worship is connected to the idea of worth. Um, and, and so anything that shows God how much he is worth, how much we value him, would be worship. And so we're, we're going to do this. We're going to sprint through the Christmas story real quick and, and look at, at how worship um, is seen all throughout the Christmas story um, that we traditionally think of, like you think of a manger scene or whatever. And so I actually turn to Matthew chapter 1, and so we're going to uh, hop through this real quick. Um, I don't know why it does that. So, yeah. 
Matthew chapter 1 um, starts off, you have the genealogy of Jesus, which we won't read. Um, you can read that in your own time. It is fascinating. Um, see? Oh, what's up? I think I might be too close to it. It's a stupid sweater. There. That's probably not good either. Y'all just talk amongst yourselves for a second. Okay, maybe that'll work better. Um, all right, Matthew 1, genealogy of Jesus. Uh, like I said, read it on your own. Um, it gets to verse 18. Um, this is Matthew's account. says that uh, this is how it all went down. Uh, Mary and, and Joseph were um, going to be married. It turns up that Mary was pregnant. And so back then, that could really be a bad deal for the woman. But Joseph was a man of great integrity, and he was like, look, we're going to handle this quietly, and uh, we'll divorce quietly and won't submit you to shame and that kind of stuff. And um, in, the, in, in the middle of the night, he has a dream. Angel comes to him, says, uh, says, Joseph, son of David, this is in verse 20, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. All right? So, uh, hey, it's going to be okay. This is from me. Um, this is what you're going to do. And the, the first, the first um, worship that we see, uh, if we're just going straight through in chronological order as far as the books go, is this. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. All right? That is worship because Joseph was obedient to what God told him to do. Now, we might not always think of obedience as being worship, but obedience shows God how much he is worth to us. Especially, you think about Joseph in the midst of a pretty crazy situation that's probably a little bit hard to believe. He was obedient to what he was told, and, and through our obedience, we tell God, this is, this is how much I value you. This is how much I trust you. This is how much... I want to honor you, that even though I think this is completely insane, I'm going to do what you told me to do. And so we see worship in the Christmas story there. If you keep going, chapter 2 is about the visit of, of the wise men. Um, we won't read the whole thing, but King Herod is sitting there one day, and these guys show up, and uh, they're like, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And he's like, wait, who? And they're like, no, um, like... This, this is, we're here to worship the king of the Jews, and he doesn't really understand, so he calls his, his smart guys together, and they tell him, yeah, there's this prophecy that says there's a star that's going to appear, it's going to be in Bethlehem, and, uh, and you know, that, that's where the king of the Jews is born, and these guys are saying that the star appeared, and they're here, they're looking for him. And so Herod pulls the wise men to the side, says, look, when you find him, come tell me, because I want to worship him too, wink, wink. And so um, these guys go, and... Um, they see the star and they get really excited and, uh, because that's, you know, and so the star leads them there. And if you look at verse 10, chapter 2, it says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Okay, so here, here we see worship here. They just, they see the kid, and they fall down, and they worship him. They just see him. It's just a baby in a barn. 
probably not cleaned up very well. It's not like looking through the glass at Women's Hospital and they're all like, oh, look, they're all bundled up and they're like, whatever. Probably, probably not. They just laid eyes on the kid and they fell down and they worshipped him. And then they start giving him these, they bring gifts to him because, I mean, you don't show up to see the king empty-handed. And so, and so we see that this worship in, in showing how much he's worth, beginning with just falling on their face and worshiping him, and then by bringing gifts. Um, if you go to Luke chapter 1. We're going to skip Mark because there's really not anything in there. That pertains to this Christmas story. You know what I mean? Luke chapter 1 is where we see Mary's story. Angel shows up, says, guess what, you're going to have a baby. And uh, she's like, hold on, technically that cannot happen. And he's like, I know, but you're going to have a baby. And he's going to save the world from their sins. He's going to be the one that everybody's been waiting for. And, uh, and so, you know, she's kind of bewildered, doesn't really probably understand. Look at verse 38. This is Mary's, this is Mary's response to um, an angel showing up in a room saying, you're going to have a baby, and it's going to be God's, and he's going to be the Messiah that everybody's waiting for. And this is her response. Verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Seriously? I mean... I don't know how you would react. I mean, I'm not a woman, but I probably would not have been so uh, peaceful and whatever. But, but here, here we see worship in the, in the form of submission. She says, look, I'm the Lord's servant. And so if this is the way it's going to go down, then let it go down. Because there's something, there's something bigger than me going on here. And that, that shows God how much he's worth, doesn't it? I mean, when you think about it, just saying like, look, uh, my life is not my own. So if this is what you ask of me, let's do it. That's worship just as much as any, um, any song that we're going to sing or any prayer that's going to be prayed or anything else. I mean, that submissive, obedient spirit is worship as well. Um, if we keep, you look down, um, this is another uh, deal with Mary. Look at verse 46. As Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he's sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. She's, she's worshiping. She's responding. That's the other thing about worship is that it's about worth. It's also about response. And the more she ponders this and the more she thinks about it, the more overwhelmed she is, she, uh, this, it says Mary's song of, of praise. I don't know if she was singing it or not, but I mean, I mean, think about like just those times when you really, when you get, just kind of get caught up in 
the goodness of God and the power of God and the fact that, that we are a part of him and all the identity in Christ we've been talking about and just, just how it just evokes something in you. You keep going, you see about the birth of John the Baptist and uh, Zechariah's prophecy, and that's all uh, some amazing stuff. Um, look in chapter 2, get to the shepherds. They're out in the field, and these were shepherds who, um, as a, a profession, the, the sheep that they were looking over, this is where they pulled sheep for um, sacrificial purposes. In this part of the region, that's what they did. And so here are these shepherds in the middle of the night. Angels show up, okay, scared them to death. Angels tell them, look, don't be afraid. Uh, let's, let's read it because it's just good stuff. Look at verse 8. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, an, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on, earth, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Here it is. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The shepherds are, wor are worshiping. The wise men are worshiping. Joseph is worshiping. Mary is worshiping. I'm sure the cows and stuff, in their own little way, were probably worshiping that night. Everything that we know about the Christmas story, it is just a story that's full of worship, of showing God how much he is worth and responding to that in all these different ways. Obedience, singing, um, submission, you name it, anything about that. Christmas is about worship because Christmas is about Jesus. And where Jesus is, there's worship all the time. And so if the Christmas story is full of worship, then we have to um, also see how we fit into it. Turn over to, to John chapter 1. Sometimes it's hard for us to look at the Christmas story and to see how we fit into it. You know, it's almost, it's like you look at a manger scene and there's, a, there's like you think about what happened then and how cool it must have been uh, to, to be there and to see that and to experience that. But sometimes we don't really connect that into our own um, reality. In John chapter 1, this is all that stuff just stated in a, from a completely different perspective. And this, when it says word with a capital, capital W, that's talking about Jesus. And we could get into that a lot, but you just need to just kind of roll with me on this. Um, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, okay? Easier, not easier, definitely not better. Um, simpler way of saying that is that Jesus has always existed. Right? He didn't come into existence on Christmas morning. He uh, has always existed um, from the beginning of time. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him not, 
anything was made that was made. Look at this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In him was life, and the light of men. You and I um, are a part of the Christmas story because of what it says here. That when this baby was born into the world, um, it says in, in Isaiah, uh, those walking in darkness have seen a great light. That's exactly what happened to us. And so when that baby, we see the baby laying in the manger scene or whatever, and you see that, it's not a baby that was born a long time ago. That was when the light that you and I walk in now um, came into the world. That is how we connect to the Christmas story. Um, look, down, look down at verse 14. And the Word, okay, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. All right? That's Christmas in a theological nutshell. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That all grace and all truth are completely um, present in this little baby. That when we see Him lying in a manger, the reason why we can can talk about truth, and we can walk in grace, and we have all these things that we've been talking about for several weeks in Christ, um, all of that was because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. If He had not done that, that would not be, be the case for us. We would still be waiting for um, uh, the remedy, like we sang about. Skip down, um, look at verse 16. All right, so we just said He was full of grace and truth. Verse 16 says, And from His fullness... We have all received grace upon grace. From his fullness, we received grace upon grace. See, the Christmas story is all about worship. Our story is all about worship. And so our Christmas, this Christmas, has got to be fully about worship. And, and I, I want to approach that like literally. Like when Advent Conspiracy, when it says worship fully, I wasn't, I didn't, I don't take that to mean I want my worship to be more full, like I want to worship better. I think what it's talking about is I want worship to, to completely fill up my full Christmas experience. I don't, know, I don't know if that makes any sense. Um, instead of like, I want to worship God better this Christmas, I want, I want to look at my own life and all the different things that come up with the Christmas season, and I want every single one of those things, no matter how um, uh, trivial or um, just kind of like, just whatever is kind of a part of it, I want every one of those things to be worshipped. And I, and I think that's a reflection of, of what worship is about because you look at, it, at every, everything we've talked about. I mean, the shepherds, um, they, they just responded. Joseph was obedient because he was called to do something. Mary was submissive because she was put into a position to uh, play this important role in, in the kingdom. The wise men, they were kind of a pawn in this political game, but yet when it came down to it, I mean, they saw him and they fell down and they worshiped and they brought these gifts to him. Um, Every, every one of those people, they, they worshipped in the path of the story that God brought them to. 
And so as you go the next couple of weeks, um, the, the closer it gets, the more intense things are and the more hectic schedules are and you're trying to keep Christmas parties straight and, and gift buying straight and, and all this kind of stuff. As things begin to ramp up, we have to look at each one of those things and say, how can I fully worship the Lord in this? Let me just give some, some examples. Um, let's, talk about, uh, let's talk about traffic. How terrible is it to live in Baton Rouge if you hate traffic? It is an absolute nightmare. Um, some of you, I mean, it's Sunday night and the interstates are backed up. It's like, where is everybody going? Um, and, but, okay, so Christmas traffic is really bad because everybody's trying to get to the same places to buy the same stuff or whatever. I have to look at, at that, okay, and say, how can I fully worship God this Christmas in traffic? I don't have an answer to that. <laughs> because I hate traffic. I will stay home. I will do without. I will go into a circumstantial fast. Because um, if I don't have any food and I'm not getting in that traffic, I just won't eat. You know, like I hate it. But the reason why I hate it is because it brings out the worst in me. And it brings out the worst in me because of other people, right? It's not that I'm bad, it's that they're bad. Uh, <laughs> I know that I'm the problem. And so maybe it's something as simple as letting people over, even though they have no idea the difference between yield and merge. Um, because I, I'm that guy. I will sit there and I will drive up and I will not look at you because I want you to know that sign right there is a yield sign. It is not a merge sign. I don't have to let you in and I'm not going to. And if I have to bump you with my truck, I will do it. I'm that guy. Maybe, maybe there needs to be a little more Jesus out there behind the wheel. And you might think, that's so small, that's so stupid, that's so weird. But, but think about it. Think about it. It's, we have to believe that it is more honoring to God when we are grace, gracious and kind and whatever in traffic, and we're not like, like the old cartoons where like Goofy's like nice and he's driving to work and something goes wrong and he's like turns into like Mr. Hyde or whatever. Remember that cartoon? Just me? Okay. Um, I'm going to cut that out in the podcast. Um, think about how, my, how honoring that would be to God. We think about, um, think about Christmas from a relational standpoint. Think about the people, like, when you go to Walmart, think about the cashier that's, that's there that's been dealing with greedy, frustrated, um, self-centered people all day long. And when you get up there, like, I'm, I'm very, like, uh, uh, I'll, I'll treat the cashier the way they treat me, you know? And if they're, like, completely, like, if they're, like, talking on their cell phone the whole time, ringing me up, I'm not going to go out of my way to be nice to them. And if they're really kind to me, then I'll be really kind to them in my own way. Um, but maybe, maybe if, if, if we go and no matter what, we're kind. Maybe as we're pushing a buggy through Walmart and people are just like whatever, maybe we're not the ones trying to prove a point or rolling our eyes, or getting frustrated. Like, maybe we're smiling to people. 
Maybe the cashier needs somebody to be nice to them because they've been treated like by all these jerks all day long. Maybe that will be the most transformational thing about your Christmas. You might think it's giving to Advent Conspiracy, or you might think it's doing all this other stuff. Maybe, maybe showing the kindness and compassion and the, just the goodness of God to a cashier at Walmart is going to be the thing that you walk away with this year that God uses to, to, uh, to chip away, to make you look more like Christ. It's the same thing like when we go to restaurants about not being a jerk to our waiters and waitresses and stuff. Maybe in a time where um, the economy is not so hot, maybe we're, maybe we're the ones that have decided to tip more than we normally would because a lot of people are starting to pull back on that. Maybe, maybe relationally, maybe you, you look at, at how you interact with people at work, you know, because like different work environments have different Christmas traditions and, you know, work parties and like all this kind of stuff or whatever and and like, what if, what, if, what if everybody that you work with, with their stress level, it just every day it goes up more and more and more and more, and they're just getting more and more, like, just grumpy and whatever. And what if you, every day, you walk in that place a little more like Jesus? And you're giving hugs, and you're encouraging people, and you're like, you're, you're a light shining in a dark place. Think about how, how you can more fully worship God during Christmas at work. Think about within your, within your family. Maybe it's like your immediate family. Maybe you're here tonight and you're, and you're married and maybe you have kids and stuff like that. And, or um, maybe we're thinking about like with our, our, your parents and your siblings and stuff like that. Like how can you more fully worship relationally with them? Maybe, maybe it's about uh, having just more just intentional conversations with them. Maybe sometimes we turn the TVs off um, at, when, at, in my family, I mean, at any, any given moment, there's at least two laptops open. And you know how it is when laptops, I mean, you're, you're completely locked in. There is no conversing going on. And so maybe it starts with me not even bringing my laptop when my family gets together because it's really probably nothing that's that important. Um, maybe we turn off the TV sometimes. Maybe we linger at the dinner table a little bit longer with those aunts or uncles or cousins Maybe you just ask them how they're doing and you share a little, about, a little bit about how you're doing. And maybe if, if they open up and you find out something's not going so great, maybe respond to it. You know, I mean, think about how relationally within your family you can more fully worship Christ this Christmas. You know, we've talked about the Advent conspiracy and, and that's, I mean, just a, amazing, like, hands-on ways to worship God because it affects our spending. We're asking everybody to buy one less present. What if, what if you went beyond that? What if you just refused this Christmas um, to let it be about stuff? Because maybe in a, in a culture where every year in America, somebody gets killed at Walmart the day after Thanksgiving. Every year it happens. I mean, that's sick. That's just messed up. And so maybe in a world that is that driven by consumerism, maybe we as Christians just say, I refuse to live that way. And it's one thing to say, I will not live controlled by money. It's totally different to, say, to actually put it into action. Because that's the discipline that helps us fight that. And so we buy less presents and we're not as consumed with stuff. And we take some of that money and we give it toward the Advent conspiracy to go dig to this... Um, 
to this organization called Living Water International that, that digs wells in places all around the world where they're drinking out of cesspools and all their cooking water and everything comes from just like these, the most nasty thing you've ever seen. And kids die all the time and adults die all the time because of the parasites that get in them. And so maybe instead of pumping money into the U.S. economy um, this Christmas, which spends $480 billion uh, just on Christmas in the United States, maybe we pump some money into something that's really going to help people, to an organization that goes in and digs wells, and in the midst of digging wells, talks about Jesus and who he is and what he's come to do. And then what if instead of um, buying presents for your parents or siblings or something like that, then you, then you say, you know, instead of buying a present, I'm going to take money and I'm going to give it in your honor to this cause that, that my church is doing. And instead, um, I, want, I want us to go and, um, and do something together. There's, there's a, a, a homeless shelter that needs volunteers on Christmas night. And so we're going to, uh, we're going to go and we're going to, we're going to do that. Or you say, look, uh, I, I want us to sit down and just, I want us to have a cup of coffee. That's my Christmas present to you. To sit down with your dad and say, I want to have a conversation with you. I want to know how you are. I want you to know how I am. Maybe that's the best gift that a child can give their parent. Just time with them. Maybe you sit down and you write a letter to to someone to tell them all the things that that we're so bad at telling each other face to face. Because that becomes something that ends up in like a a hope chest or in a shoebox people treasure with them, and those are the things that people grab if their house is on fire. You know, people don't, you don't need another pivot drill for your you know, tool chest or whatever. I mean, that's, that's going to go to waste. And so maybe it's about giving things that are of more substance. Maybe it's, it's about just connecting to things. Maybe, maybe, we, maybe we take our lives apart and we literally look at, at everything from, from shopping to traffic to how we hang out with people at work to... Um, even, even down to the very way that you look at a, at a nativity scene set up in somebody's yard. What if we looked at every single thing we're going to experience in the next couple of weeks, and our prayer is, is literally, God, I want you to take everything in my life in the next couple of weeks. I want it to be used for your glory, and I want to worship you fully in every single one of those things. I don't want regrets this Christmas. I don't want that empty feeling when it's all over with. I want to walk away from this Christmas and look more like you. Well, the thing that we have all experienced about God is this. When we ask him to do things and we mean it with all of our hearts and we persist in that and we set the bar really high and we say, God, I'm expecting you to do these things, you know what? He shows up. He always shows up. And so my prayer for my Christmas And my prayer for our Christmas as a church is that we would fully worship him in every single thing, that not one aspect of our lives would would, would neglect him. And that's the thing. The Christmas story is full of worship, and our story is full of worship. And where Jesus is, there's worship. And so if if we are pursuing him in the next couple of weeks, and we're saying, I want to see Jesus in everything, that means that there will be worship in everything. And that's when so many of our hopes and our dreams about what Christmas could really be in our lives are going to start to come true. And I don't know how this fits in with you right now. This may not have connected with you at all. 
maybe because we don't have any decorations and you haven't switched over to 96.1 concert Christmas music yet. Like maybe you're not in the, in the, in the flow yet. Well, let's get there. We don't have to sing Christmas songs to be in the Christmas spirit because the incarnation of Christ affects every day of our lives. So here's what we're, we're going to do. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a few more songs and just kind of respond. And um, let me just, just challenge you to take this seriously the next couple weeks. All right, let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. And we never run out of um, never run out of reasons to respond to you, to look to you, to thank you. We thank you, God, that that we have received grace upon grace. God, we want um, we want to be more like you, and we want you to use the Christmas season to make that a reality for us, and not just for us, so we can grow. But God, because we know that when we're growing, other people see that, and that is glorifying to you. And so, God, we know that we are without excuse. You've laid all these opportunities in front of us, and your word is so clear. God, will you do that for us? Will you use the next few weeks to sanctify us, to transform us? Will you use the cashier at Walmart? Will you use the, our coworkers, our neighbors, and our, our siblings, and our friends? Will you use this... Um, we use Living Water International and the offering that will be taken. We use the discipline of, of giving. Will you help us as we try and fight consumerism and greed? Will you use the people in the shelters around town and the opportunities we have there to go and to serve? God, will you create new opportunities that we never saw, would have seen coming? Will you open our eyes to everything that is around us? Will you use this Christmas to change us? That's my prayer, God, for my life. That is my prayer as the pastor for our church. And so, God, we, we just want to focus on you. Help us to find you in all these things because when we find you, we respond to you because of who you are and all that you have done. We love you, Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.